Clap, clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands podcast, hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. How does last night impact how you feel about the matchup first Boston? Because I can start the pod saying that was his moment, like blah, blah, blah. They moved to one and three against Boston. You, you know, like, like it wasn't, you know, that they're, they're now three and one against them. I do think, and going into this game, we talked about it, there is a huge mental edge to, to winning that game. Like no matter how they want whatever, just to win, I think was huge. And for Joel especially. But where are you at now? Like, do you think last night Jalen Brown doesn't play, Robert Williams doesn't play? How much does last night change your opinion of how you would view a playoff series against them? I mean, nothing. Like, Jalen Brown not playing in that game essentially made it so that it was like, there are no stakes for this other than the individual stuff. I honestly think it could have worked and sort of worked against them in a lot of ways where... Boston being able to push them to the brink despite not having two of their most important guys. It's like those guys are so confident against the Sixers that it's got to be just, yeah, I'm sure in that locker room after the game, they're just kind of laughing. Like we sat two of our guys and I don't, I think they're probably just being overly cautious with Brown and they're still giving them fits in in Mm. crunch time. So I think it almost goes the other way in some ways. Now that being said, look, it's still good that they got the win. And I do think the Williams part of it is fascinating because in theory, it gives you better options overall defensively against Joel, but I think he's able to take more plays off and just kind of sit around on defense more. We saw that in the the previous meeting that they lost on uh, that Saturday night. I, I think Joel was able to sit and roam in the dunker spot on defense for most of that game when Williams was on the floor with Horford to the point that they had to abandon that lineup in crunch time and they played small. And once again, shout out Derek white, they bring Derek white in the game. And you know, that's really what made the difference for, uh, for Boston in that game. So I I do think there's some give and take like Brown obviously changes the complexion of the matchup a lot. It it gives uh, the defenders have way less places to hide on the floor when him and Tatum are out there. The bench lineups get stronger because you have one of Tatum or Brown on the floor at basically all times. Um, but the Williams component is interesting. And I do think, and I I feel like I've brought this up a hundred times. There's some weird kind of po- political might not be the right word, but it is kind of like a political thing happening with the Celtics where I think Marcus Smart is going to get some minutes that he doesn't really deserve because mm-hmm. he has the the reputation and the the consistency that he's had there over the years where they're probably going to be, be better off playing Derek white in those minutes. And yeah. I wonder if Joe Missoula is going to be willing to make that switch. Like you could make the case that they are not playing their optimal starting closing five a lot of the time. And, you know, that doesn't matter over the aggregate and over the course of 82 games, like they're good enough and deep enough and talented enough that, They've obviously won a ton of games, but in these matchups, like one with the Sixers or one with the Bucks or whoever they end up playing in the playoffs, like that kind of stuff matters. It's why we kill Doc Rivers at times. And so I'm very interested to see, you know, how that kind of stuff plays out for Boston. And I think that could end up in some ways working in the Sixers favor. So when we did the pod after they lost to Boston on like that last second Tatum shot, I think I was at like 15% that I think the Sixers could win that series. 
I'm probably more up to 30% or like 25 around there. Um, but I do think in some ways, the main reason I think they, they would lose that series still is just home court advantage. I think if the Sixers had gotten the two seed, I might be closer to like 50, 55. I think starting those two games in Boston could potentially just be a knockout blow that they can't recover from, unfortunately. But one legit reason to think that they could beat Boston is like Tatum has not been good against the Sixers all year. When you look nope. at his numbers, he has been not just not good. He's been flat out bad. I have him right here. I mean, he averages just 21 points, but like his field goal percentage is bad. What do he have last night? So he's had 12, 8, 13, and oh no, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the wrong numbers. 35, 12, 18, and 19. So he's had one good game against them in four tries. And if Tatum is not special, like if he's not great, they're a very beatable team. And I know Jalen Brown offsets that a little bit because if Tatum's struggling and Brown's not playing, they don't have anybody else of that caliber to go to. But if if that's what Tatum does in a playoff series, the Sixers can absolutely win that series. Now, Embiid has to be special. Harden has to be a bit better. And home court advantage really matters. But the reason I think last night did increase my belief that they could win is not only because of what Embiid did and the fact that they got the mental hurdle to an extent of beating the Celtics a little bit off their shoulder, but Tatum Tatum's track record is getting longer and longer of them of him not playing good against the Sixers, and that is definitely a big deal heading into a series. Yeah, and look, I, I think his outside shooting numbers, if you look at like the last two seasons, are either just average or below average. I don't know mm -hmm. what they're exactly at at this point. I could pull it up. But if he doesn't hit threes at a reasonably high clip, their offense essentially becomes they have to make a ton of jumpers because he doesn't get to the rim a ton. He's not like a dominant downhill threat like that. And a lot of it is predicated on he's got to be able to set defenders up with the threat of the outside shot. So if you can give him a little bit of space yet. Yeah. So for this season, he is almost exactly average, maybe slightly below average. He's 35.2% on very high volume. And a lot of those are high difficulty pull-up shots. And last year he was 35.3. So after starting his career where he looked like, man, this guy's an elite high thirties, low 40 shooter on good volume. He's now settled in at like, He's just kind of an average shooter from deep. And like yeah. that has all kinds of downstream effects. Like if you can just say, look, we're going to let you shoot a lot of threes. We're going to play you single coverage. And we're going to say, if you can beat us hitting, you know, 23 foot step back jumpers. Great. But we're not going to overhelp off of these other guys. And we will do that if you get on a heater. But until you can prove it, until you show us like, yeah, I'm going to hit those shots. They're going to defend him the way that they probably should, which is to say, you got to be the best guy in the series by far. And we mm -hmm. don't believe that you can be. That, and yeah. That's the right way to go about it. And I think like, you know, at a, at a basic level where the, where the Sixers could feel good is their best player is way better against the Celtics than the Celtics best player is against the Sixers. So all the other thing, Matt, all the other things matter, home court advantage, all that stuff. The Sixers go into the series with the better player who's a tougher matchup for them than Tatum is for the Sixers. And I think that's reason to hope. So outside of that, I mean, just an awesome win last night by them. Embiid's unbelievable. We will have a Joel Embiid MVP podcast whenever it comes because it's clearly coming. He's like minus 600 now to win the award. So we will be back um, 
later in the week. It's Wednesday, Wednesday now, right? So probably maybe either Friday or, or Saturday. We'll figure it out. But um, before we wrap it up, any other uh, final thoughts? Uh, Jimmy Butler, who is in town <laughs> tomorrow night, came out and said that Joel Embiid is the MVP and should have won it last year. So one, uh, I think if you just look at the list of endorsements from players, I don't, I don't play enough, pay enough attention to uh, Denver to say, oh, the, all these people have said it about Jokic, but it's like Steph yeah, Curry and Dame people. Lillard yeah. and Jimmy Butler. And like, it's just on and on yeah. and on all these players who are like, not just NBA players, but like great NBA players. For them to all be on the, hey, Joel's the MVP bandwagon, it does feel like this is the roll out the red carpet. It looks like it's time for this guy to finally accept the award. Well, also, Jimmy's just setting it up so when they trade Toby to Miami for Jimmy in the offseason and Joel gets his guy, you know, he's he's laying the groundworks of uh, of returning back to Philly. You're shaking the odds of that happening back. are, I won't say zero because you never say zero, but it's about right. as close to zero as it can be. It's more likely that Joel goes to Miami than to what a way to end the pod. I started by by uh, praising Embiid. Kyle ends it by saying where Joel's going to get traded. We're truly having influence on each other. Uh, uh, I'm not saying where he's going to get traded. I'm just comparing <laughs> it to Tobias. That's I know. Cool. I'm just kidding. <laughs>